Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. I had this verse, and I, and I loved it in uh, the, the Passion Translation. I wanted to share that I feel like really would, would encapsulate all that we've been talking about over the last six weeks. And uh, it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. I just want you to take note of this. I'm not going to preach on it. It's just really powerful, and I feel like it's, it's very appropriate, but it really has nothing to do, not a lot to do with our message today. Aspire to lead a calm and peaceful life. Now, how many you know, <laughs> I just said I wasn't going to preach. How many know there's a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper? It's not blessed are the peacekeepers for the kingdom. It's the, the peacemakers. Come on, sometimes there's a tension before the peace. Keeping your mouth shut isn't being a peacemaker. But we should be peaceful. Come on, we need, we need to be kind. So let me get back to reading it so I'll stop preaching already. So aspire to lead a calm and peaceful life as you mind your own business. Man, if anything would fit our culture right now, it's that. Mind your own business and earn your living just as we've taught you. By doing this, you will live an honorable life, influencing others and commanding respect of even the unbelievers. Then you will be in need of nothing and not dependent upon others. Isn't that a good word? So tuck that in there with, if you've been taking notes in this series, but we are continuing this series. Today, I want to talk about a familiar character. We talked about her a lot. A lot of this will be somewhat remixed and repeated uh, for things that we talk about at Overflow. We're going to talk a little bit about Mary of Bethany today, one of our favorite characters in the scripture who, who probably doesn't get a, a, a enough uh, screen time, if you will. We, we, we don't really talk about her a lot, but she's actually mentioned more than a a lot of the disciples. And so we'll talk about that today because, because really what she had is she had a posture before the king, right? We've been talking about our posture before kings and how to have influence, but there is a posture that we need to have before the king and Mary got it right. And so we're going to talk about her today. Our text here in this series has been 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. It says, thank God that he has made us captives and continues to lead us in Christ's triumphal procession. And again, if you remember from week one, we talked about this, that, that this is a picture of whenever, whenever a king comes back from war and he's leading his army and they have the, spoil of, of, of the spoils of war, they would have captives with them and they would be burning incense. And so there's this big party going on where they're just fragrantly coming in, celebrating, and they had the captives. How many know that God, you were enemies with God, but you've been reconciled, that he's brought you into Christ, and he's brought you in to his city, his kingdom, and he's brought you in, and, and, and because you're part of this procession, you have this fragrance of what this party smells like. Now he uses us. Come on, that are no longer prisoners of sin. To spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. So you smell like Jesus, right? That, that, that is what you're called to. Every, every person has a scent. We talked a little bit about this. Every, just like you have your own unique thumbprint, every person actually has a scent. Did you know that? Sometimes it's not good. Right? So we put deodorant, you know. But you carry an aroma. Come on. You carry the fragrance of Christ. So you've been re-identified. 
The, the, the most dominant thing in your life isn't your fragrance, but it's his. And so we've been talking a lot about carrying that fragrance and what it looks like and what, what it looks like to go before kings and have influence and how that permeates the atmosphere. We love that. But Mary shows us again the posture of what it looks like before the king. And we, there's, there's really three times that she's mentioned heavily in the scriptures. I want to talk about two of them. Luke chapter 10. Jesus, Jesus and his disciples were on their way. They came to a village where a woman named Martha, everybody say Martha. Everybody say Martha, Martha. Now they're in the town of Bethany. Bethany's about two miles outside of Jerusalem, right? You could walk that in less than an hour. And because they were traveling by foot, Jesus would stop by Bethany often, right? Bethany is where Mary of Bethany, thus the name, Martha, who we call Martha, Martha, and then Lazarus. You know Lazarus, who Jesus rose from the dead? Now, these were three followers of Jesus. Now, they're not in the, the 12 apostles, but they're mentioned more than some of the apostles. So their, their story is significant. And it says this, that, that it was at Martha's house where a lot of cool things happened. So Martha opened her home to him. Woo, come on. That's good news. How many of you have opened your home? the home of your heart to Jesus. That's good. It's really good. And she had a sister called Mary, <laughs> named Mary. <laughs> we call her Mary, called Mary. Her name is Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Pay attention. Who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made, that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, can you not see that there's work to be done? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. <laughs> I mean, she's over here. She's over here sitting on her butt in front of you. And I'm over here slaving in the kitchen. Tell her to stop doing what she's doing and come do some real work. And Jesus replies, Martha, Martha. Martha, my beloved Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. You're frustrated. You're stressed out. But few things are needed. She was making everything complicated when Jesus was in the house. Or indeed, only one. Only one. Mary has chosen what is better. The New Living Translation says it this way, that Mary discovered it. She discovered it. She, she chose it because she discovered it. She found that sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him was better than doing the dishes was better than doing the laundry. So he says, it's better, the better way, and it will not be taken from her. Now listen, Martha is awesome, right? We love Martha. In fact, Jesus loves Martha. It tells us in, in John that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They were very, very, very tight. She, it was at her house. I mean, she opened her home to Jesus. It wasn't at Mary's house, 
Maybe it's because Mary's so lazy she couldn't afford a house. I don't know. But I do know that, that it's important that Martha opened her house. Because if she didn't open her house, Mary wouldn't have a place to sit at his feet. So Martha is critical in this story. But beloved, it is not enough to open your house to him. It's not enough to open your heart to him. It's not enough to work for the Lord. And this is her problem. She thought the Lord wanted her working. And many of you live in shame because you're not putting enough work in. Come on. And you need, listen, you need to put work in. We'll talk about that. We have, we talked about it for five weeks. It's not enough to work for the Lord. It's not by works that you're saved. It's by the grace of God. Right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's not by works, but by grace you've been saved. For we are God's workmanship created to do good works. You were created to do good works, but your good works don't get you favor with God. Your good works don't get you ground in God. You know what does? Sitting at his feet. Listen, you got to do the work. There's work to be done. We've all got to be doing work. When I read this story, I'm like, Surely Martha is smart enough to know that Jesus is coming. So why didn't she do the work yesterday? That's what I'm thinking. I mean, if there's all this preparation that needs to be done, why don't you do it ahead of time? So whenever the Lord comes over, when there's that moment to seek him, when he may be found, when there's that time for the Lord, why, why don't you do all the work so that you can create the space where you can just sit And I I can be guilty of this sometimes. I can get busy and forget to sit. We have have our prayer sessions on Saturday nights. They're incredible. And if I'm not careful, I'll get in the room busy in my mind. Busy thinking about my sermon and not just sitting at the feet of the Lord. None of that in that moment honors his heart. What he wants is my attention. What he wants is my affection. Am I going to give it to him? So Martha's posture is this, a laborer, a doer. She's busy. She's busy. I mean, a culture worships busy. How you doing? It's my least favorite thing for you to say. How you been? Busy. First of all, what that does is that it indicates that you really don't have time to talk to me. One of the things that's frustrating with me when I talk to people, they're like, hey, pastor, I know you're busy. I'm not that busy. I always got time for you because I create enough margin in my life. I put the work in when I can do the work. That way I can sit across the table when I need to sit across the table. And sometimes that work happens at six o'clock in the morning because I know the relationship is more important. And so what culture does is culture worships busy in the kingdom A lot of times we worship busy. I'm just doing stuff for God. What are you doing for God? I mean, is that that not a religious spirit that we get? And that's exactly what it is, is a religious spirit. 
Because we equate busy with productive. Or you can use the word instead of productive, fruitful. I would suggest this, busy is the enemy of fruitful. Because you can do a whole lot of things disconnected, right? This is why we refer to it as the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, right? Because you can work apart from God, but you can't be fruitful. And it might look good and people might like it and people might recognize it and people might pay you a lot of money to do it. And that might be fine and dandy, but it's just your work. What God wants is fruit and fruit comes naturally when you're connected. Busy won't make you fruitful. It'll make you laborious. (laughs) I'm just a hard worker. And then the other thing it does is it makes your heart bitter for those that aren't working hard. Listen, I'm a hard worker. I have an incredible work ethic that I, that I got from my dad. I'm not being boastful. It's just, I, I learned it. I watched it. And if I'm not careful, I'll get into shame. And you can ask Pastor Leslie about this. I, I, one of my biggest fears is that people might think I'm lazy. That is a controlling fear that I have in my life. I'm like, because I'm, I'm not lazy. This is one thing I'm not. But if anyone ever says that, that there's nothing more insulting that you can, that you can say to me than that. But the problem with this, with this, when we become laborious, when we become laborers and we're disconnected and we're not lovers, we just produce works, not fruits, not the fruit of the spirit. So busy will get you concerned. And this is what we see with Martha. Busy will get you concerned about many things and critical of those doing the better things. So there's this movement in Kansas City. Y'all are quiet today. Y'all are going to have to chip her up. There's this movement in Kansas City called International House of Prayer, right? Love it. Mike Bickle, one of my favorite, favorite people. That's where I got the beloved thing from. I just listened to him preach and it stuck on me and I love it. And so Mike Bickle um, started International House of Prayer decades ago and they, they pray. What, what do they do as a ministry? They pray. They call it a missions base and, 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 and there are missionaries that pray. And immediately some of you are like, what? What do they do as missionaries? They pray. And immediately, labors, what we go is, nobody should get paid to pray. Don't we? I mean, I know I do. I was super critical of it. Because I didn't get it that the better thing is not labor. The better thing is being before the Lord. It's the, the single most important ministry is not the ministry that I do to the world. The most important ministry that I have is my ministry to the Lord. That's why at Overflow, the most important ministry in our church isn't kids ministry. It definitely isn't the preaching of the word. The most important ministry at Overflow Church is on Saturday nights at 5 p.m. when we get together for an hour and we just minister to Jesus. You say, how do you minister to the Lord? By sitting, by listening. This is how you minister to him. And you know what? We have to bend arms to get people to get here. And people, people look at it as something to do. If you look at prayer as something to do, you've missed it. Prayer is not something. Listen, you want to talk about rest? There's nothing more restful than being in God's presence, than sitting at his feet, listening to his voice. Well, I can do that at home. You sure can, but there's something about it when we come together. And you know that's true. 
But we have to bend our arms and get, we'll have a, we have a hand, I'm just going to be, be your pastor for a minute. We have a handful of people show up on Saturday nights, just a handful. It should be the most rocking service we have. Why? Because we're not trying to minister to people, we're trying to minister to the Lord. What, what more important way to spend my time than ministering to Jesus? There's not a more important thing. And listen, I'm not trying to criticize you or shame you into doing anything. I'm just saying it is the most important thing that we do as a church. How can I volunteer, Pastor? How can I, get, how can I serve? You can come on Saturday nights and pray, minister to the Lord. Because so goes the furnace, so goes the rest of our church. You okay? I know y'all feel like I'm gropping at you. I'm not gropping at you. I'm just saying. You okay? Okay. So you'll get concerned about many things and you'll criticize people that are doing it. All they ever do is pray. Well, I bet when they do stuff, it's way higher, way more highly productive than what you do because you're sitting around the critical religious spirit and they're being fruitful and it's the fruit that the Lord loves. So busy will keep you distracted, worried, and upset. And this is what we see about her. She's upset at her sister. Jesus is like, you're concerned about many things. Right? She's worried. You're distracted. I'm sure that she has like some number on an Enneagram or some type of personality thing. And this is the way that she was raised just to work. I'm sure that she had all the excuses, but the reality is, is Jesus called her distracted. And she would have said that Mary was distracted. She's not doing the work. You guys know how it is. Like when you, when you spend time with your spouse right? Or a friend, or you go out to lunch with someone, or you go out for coffee or whatever, and you're sitting there talking to them, and they're on the, buried on their phone. That ever happened? I know I do that a lot, of, a lot of times when I'm with people. Oh, sorry, sorry. I gotta, gotta, gotta check this. It's annoying. Let's just be, let's just be real. Trust me. I, I, listen, I have to lay down busy all the time. I get it. And you know how frustrating it is when they're distracted from the fellowship from the sharing of the life, from the thing that's happening, right? It's annoying. It's like, hey, talk to me. We're right here. We're eating a meal. You don't need to be on your phone. You're going to do that. You're going to scroll tonight for three hours. Can I, can I just have your attention right now? And Martha's in the back scrolling. <laughs> Hold on. I need, to, I need to answer these emails. Could you imagine... Can you imagine going out with your, with your spouse on a date, you're sitting there and they're on their phone the whole time or they're distracted or they're looking around the room and they're just not connecting. It's very frustrating. And you've probably had that. I know Leslie's had that. She's like, come on, I need you. Where are you? <laughs> are you here? I need you present. And this is where the Lord wants us. Y'all okay today? So the deal is, is distractions will derail devotion. Distractions will derail devotion. So we'll say we're devoted because we're doing things, but we're really distracted with things. Those things are all a distraction from keeping us to have, keeping us from having that place of heart devotion. Well, I'm just busy. I've just, I've got all this. I don't care about your busy. That's the word of the Lord. He doesn't care about your busy. He wants your devotion and not the devotion to do all that stuff, the devotion to sit at his feet. See, doing for Jesus will never substitute being with him. And just because you're doing good things doesn't mean you're following Jesus. Don't equate that I'm doing a bunch of good stuff. I'm a follower of Christ. What do you do? Well, I go to church. Oh, great. It's a good box to check. 
I'm a follower of Jesus. I care for whatever social issue there is. I'm a voice for the this, that, and the other. Whatever. I'm a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You've equated following with doing. And following has more to do with sitting than it does to do with doing. This is the reality. Jesus longs for fellowship. And so <clears throat> I'm trying to be really, really sensitive because I'm, 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 I'm not prodding you and, and angry and frustrated at you. But when we have these moments in worship like we had this morning, we love it. We love getting before the Lord. We, we, there's just something about it when we get in the room together. We're, we're fulfilling a biblical command to come together, to gather together, to worship the Lord. We're doing that. We love it. God loves it. He's pleased. He, he comes. But some of you, and this isn't a rebuke, it's an invitation. Some of you, it's the only time you ever do it. And so you don't live from what I was talking about earlier, daily encounter to daily encounter. You live from weekly encounter to weekly encounter. And so what you do is you spend most of your time during worship getting healed up from the week because you haven't done any daily maintenance. Maybe you've done a bunch of good stuff, but you weren't connected. Listen, Jesus, Jesus's highest priority for you is fellowship, fellowship with him. Following Jesus begins and ends of fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful. What, what is God calling me to do? We got this? God is faithful. Who has called you into fellowship with his son. What is my calling? Fellowship. It's the greatest calling to be in fellowship with Jesus. That word fellowship in the Greek, koinonia, right? We, when we talk about fellowship, we mostly think about going to a community group. That's great. That's fellowship. We need that fellowship. We, we need it. We need to get together. We need to hang out. We need the body of Christ. Absolutely. No question. But the Lord is calling you into fellowship with the Lord. He wants fellowship with you. That koinonia means this, the sharing of life, that we're doing life together right? That we're following Jesus together. I'm following Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm following him together. I'm fellowshipping with the Lord. So when I'm sitting before the Lord, I'm listening and I'm sitting. And busy is the enemy of fellowship. And that's why you get so frustrated when it's time to fellowship with someone and they're distracted. Because their mind is busy. I don't want you to be busy. I don't want you to do anything for, you, for me right now. I just want to sit down and talk, right? For love language people, it's quality time. I just, I just want you. I don't want all your audience on social media. I don't want the text message that you've been having all week with so-and-so or the drama that you've been dealing with. I just want you. I just want to sit with you and chat with you. And this is what the Lord wants. The Lord wants fellowship. I will say this. If you're too busy to pray... If you're too busy to pray and have fellowship with the Lord, you're too busy. And your priorities are messed up. Hear me. Because we're like, I'm committed to Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm all into the Lord. I'm sold out to the Lord. What does your daily prayer time look like? Ah, I don't pray as much as I should. So do. So just fellowship with the Lord. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to be super spiritual. You just got to sit at his feet and listen. It might be for five minutes. 
What if I told you that the only time that Leslie and I ever spend together is one night a week, we get together, we sit down and we talk for 20 minutes or an hour and a half, but we don't see each other any other time. We don't really talk. Would you say we have a relationship? Would you say that we're devoted? No, but we do that with the Lord all the time. Whenever he's ordained us and called us for fellowship, are you okay? So if you look at prayer as doing, you're doing it wrong. You're doing prayer wrong. So that's Martha's posture. Everyone say Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. All right, you're going to be more engaged in this section of the sermon. (laughs) Mary's posture. Who sat before the Lord's feet listening to what he said. She's showing an eagerness. She's showing an expectation. She's she's showing that, that she's willing, get this, to sit at his feet. She's willing to submit to what he says. I know you don't like that word, but when he's king, that's what you do. Where is she at? She's not out going, look, Lord, look at what I'm doing. Tell everybody else to do what I'm doing. That's not what she's doing. She's just sitting there and she's just got her attention on the Lord and she's listening at his feet. Expectant. See, understand this. When, when a disciple would come and follow a rabbi in those days or a follower would come to follow a rabbi, what they would, that's exactly their posture. They would go and they would sit and they would listen to their teaching. And so Mary, in this moment, she's saying, I'm your disciple, Jesus. Now, we don't call her an apostle. But she is definitely a disciple of Jesus. She's sitting at his feet, listening to what he has to say. Are you sitting? I love that you serve. Are you willing to sit? Listen, your serving will be better if you learn to sit. The result of fellowship with the Lord takes us from being busy to being fruitful. Takes us from being busy to being fruitful. John 15, 4. Y'all okay? Remain. Everybody say remain. Remain, that means stay. Mino is the Greek word. Stay connected. Stay connected with the Lord. Remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And some of you, you leave on Sunday, you have this cool experience. Oh, that was really good. We we had a good church service. I'm glad. I'm so grateful for that. You leave and you disconnect. And then the next week you plug back into the vine, which is Jesus. The, The vine is an overflow church. We're just a branch a branch of the vine. But a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Very simple. Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So washing the dishes, feeding the homeless, standing up for pro-life, whatever it is, if you're disconnected, it's not fruitful. And it doesn't count. Because in the end, the only fruit that matters is the fruit that remains. And the only way they have remaining fruit is to stay connected to the vine. And so when I get before the Lord, I don't want to go, Lord, look at what all I did for you. And I'm going, you did all that stuff for me, but you didn't do it all with me. You didn't do it in fellowship with me. And it was very unfruitful. Look how much better it would have been if you just would have stayed connected. Look how much better it would have been if you learned that the the better thing, what I said the better thing was, was sitting at my feet and listening and doing what I told you to do. 
Instead, you're just doing a bunch of other stuff that everybody else is telling you to do. Doing stuff that the whole world will celebrate. Or doing stuff that fulfills you instead of what fulfills me. And most people, most American people today do what fulfills them. And the world is preaching that message. And sometimes churches are preaching that message. Just do you, do you, fulfill you. Beloved, there is no life in that. I want to sit at his feet. I want to gaze at this glorious man. I want to sit at his feet and I want to listen. I say, Lord, I'm doing just what Jesus did. I'm only going to do what the Father tells me to do. I'm only going to say what the Lord tells me to say. I'm only going to do that because that is the only thing that will be fruitful. And that is the only thing that will matter. I'm giving my life for this. This is what he longs for. The problem is we're doing a bunch of stuff that he doesn't even care if we do or not. And it doesn't matter what the world says. Living connected is more productive than working harder. So duty without devotion eliminates delight. That's a word for you. Duty without devotion eliminates delight. So what happens? You get all these workers, Martha, Martha, Martha. Jesus is here and you're sitting at his feet. Yes, that's what we're supposed to be doing. No delight in her. She's frustrated. Maybe you're frustrated because you're not sitting at his feet. Maybe you're frustrated and critical of others. This is where I get so frustrated. I'm like, I'm like, how do you know? You're so critical. Well, the way that they should do ministry is this, and what this preacher should do is this, and what that preacher should do is this, and this is what everybody should be doing. Everybody, you know, all that is just virtue signaling, saying they should be doing what you think they should be doing. Why don't you get before his feet and you focus your attention on what he is telling you to do? Then you're not going to be frustrated. Then you're not going to be writing blogs and doing podcasts about how frustrated you are about the church and how they're just doing everything that they should be. They're not doing all the things that you think they should be doing. Why don't you sit at his feet and find out what you're supposed to be doing and do that and then you'll be fulfilled in him and you'll be fruitful. <laughs> Woo. That's what I want. And see, the thing with lovers is we don't mind lingering. Lovers don't mind just kind of hanging out. Hey, let's just sit right here. I will linger and listen. Just right here. I'm, I'm good, Lord. And, and get this. This is not the absence of, of doing works. You were created for that. But you've got to learn the art of sitting and listening. Lovers will always outwork and outclass laborers. Every single time. You find someone that loves what they do, they do it better than the person that's a really hard worker. Every single time. Because lovers always outwork and outclass laborers every time. Every time. So how do we receive fellowship? Sitting. Come on. At his feet. Before his feet. Listening. At his feet. Some people, this is what, this is what their prayer time looks like. This is how their relationship with the Lord is. We get up by his head and in his ear. And we say, this is what I want you to do. If you do this, I'll get under your feet. And they never do. They're just just in the ear of the Lord. This is what prayer looks like. I'm just in the ear of the Lord. Lord, I want you to do this. Lord, I want to see the blessing. Lord, I want you to blah, 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 blah. And there's no surrender. There's no yield. I'm just trying to convince him of something. Trying to get in his head. Trying to bend his arm. Listen, this is not, 
This is not the lover mindset, the lover mindset. That's why, you know, you know how, you know how people get like stagnant in their relationships? They just start making demands all the time. Well, I want you to do this for me and I want you to do this for me. That's not love. Love is laying down your life. That's what love is. Love is saying, what do you want? What do you want? And that's what she's doing. She's saying, Lord, what do you want? I'm just right here. So Jesus calls us to the better thing, the one thing that matters. David says it this way, Psalm 27, 4, one thing I ask of the Lord. Here's David. It's easy for David to say, right? Because he has everything. But he's like, this is my pursuit. I wasn't chasing any of this. I'm just a little boy out in, out in the, the sticks playing my four-string guitar, singing songs to Jesus, and all these opportunities start showing up. I mean, this is David's story. He don't have any good credentials. And so when the Lord, the, the Lord grabbed David, he said, it said that he was looking for a man that was after his own heart. He had rejected Saul. Saul was really good at building kingdoms. David was just good at raising sheep and singing songs. That's all he was good at. He probably wasn't even that good at, at, at raising sheep because he's so distracted singing. What a hippie. The Lord's like, hey, that guy's like, he, he, he might not be carrying all the notes right, but they're to me. And I like that. He's the king. He was the last to be picked. And so what, what, what is the key to David's success? One thing. I just got one agenda. One thing I ask, this is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him. Just to be before his feet seeking him. That's what I want. I, just, I, just, I, I want to get out of the palace and I want to get into the field. And I just want to sing to my God. You can keep your Goliaths and you can keep your kingdoms and you can keep all this stuff. David was always, and you see this whenever he's running from Saul, he's just always finding his way back out to the fields. <laughs> Singing songs. So good. And then she takes it deeper. So Mary has this incredible moment. Jesus is like, well, hold up, Martha. You need to be more like Mary. She's got it right. She's chose the better thing. Why don't you do the better thing? So in John chapter 12, later on, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. It's about to be Passover. Jesus is about to be crucified. Come on. It's, past, it's right before Passion Week. It's the Wednesday before Passion Week. And Jesus is in going through Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. And guess where he goes? Where he goes, where he always goes when he's in Bethany. He goes over to Martha's house. Because Martha, you know, she makes a good bed. You know what I'm saying? She cooks a good meal. We like going to Martha's. And Mary's there. <laughs> so we're going to Martha's house. And so Jesus shows up to, to basically say his goodbyes because they're special to him. And he shows up once again to Martha. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus just got raised from the dead. Awesome story. Remember, Jesus wept. He's crying because his friend Lazarus and people's faith and a whole bunch of other reasons. And it says that a dinner was prepared in Jesus's honor. <laughs> Let's get it before, before he gets here, right? Let's prepare the meal before he gets here so when he's here, we can hang out so I don't get rebuked again, right? It was already prepared. <laughs> Martha served, whoops. <laughs> Uh-oh. And Lazarus was among him, among those who ate with him. And then it says this in verse three, it says, then Mary, here she is again. 
took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with fragrance. The house was filled with fragrance. It wasn't just the fragrance of the spikenard. Now, it was the fragrance of Christ. Because Jesus now smelt like the fragrance that Mary brought. Come on. There's a lot there. Then Judas gets mad and he gets frustrated and he's like, you could have sold this. They could have sold it. I can't believe she's wasting this. She's pouring. Can you believe that? We could have sold this and given the money to the poor. Gosh. Here goes Mary wasting her life again. And it says in the story that that really wasn't his intent at all. And everybody there is like, kind of like annoyed. Isn't it interesting that everybody is frustrated at Mary's offering? It's a fellowship offering. Here she is with the Lord again. Lord, we've, we've been preparing. Here you are. And I have something prepared for you. This is my whole life savings. This is everything I've worked for for my whole life. And Lord, I know that you're about to suffer. And I want to give you a little courage, Lord. I want to remind you of how valuable you are. So we've prepared a meal, but I've prepared a gift for you. I've prepared an offering for you, Jesus. And it says that this, that this, this gift was pure spikenard. It wasn't, it wasn't spiked with anything. It didn't have any added olive oil or anything in there. It was pure spikenard, very expensive, a half liter of imported exotic perfume, and it's sealed in this little box called alabaster that's like a marble box and it's sealed it can't be opened it has one-time use and typically this is a gift that you would give to a king it was a gift reserved for kings not people that are traveling around from town to town not prophets but for kings and she had acquired this gift Maybe she planned on selling it one day and retiring off the money. We don't know. But we know she sees that there's only one person that's worth it. And it wasn't her. It's a sacred gift. It's reserved for the biggest moment of her life. It's pure. It's pure. Is your worship pure? Listen, beloved, don't come into this place when it's time to sit at the feet of Jesus, when it's time to rejoice before the Lord. Don't come into this service going through the motions and checking boxes and singing words. One of the most grotesque thing that I ever hear a person say is that was good singing today. Don't come, don't come in here. And if you want, if you sing pretty, then sing pretty. If you sing ugly, then just sing louder. Just sing a little bit, but all that really matters is that it's pure. What matters is that you bring something that's pure, that you're not just checking a religious box. Listen, I'm glad you're here for the word. We should all get 
here early to prepare our hearts. We've prepared it in advance. Here you are, Lord. I'm here to give you something authentic and genuine from my heart because later I'm going to go yell for the cowboys. But right now, I'm going to give you something better than that. I'm talking about something that is from your core, something that is pure, that it goes beyond the motions. Stop checking boxes. Stop singing songs. Worship Jesus. We do that through singing songs. Beloved, this is not a a trite time that we come in and we used to be told this when I came into the church, we got to do all the worship because it prepares us for the word. My God, that worship. Prepare me for the word. No, 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 no. That word prepares me for the worship. That word prepares me so that I can bring a pure Josh Brown to Jesus and say, Lord, you are worthy of my life. You are worthy of all I have. This is my, that's why I can yell. That's why I can yell out frustration during worship. It's just pure. He wants the pure thing. Second thing is it was costly. A year's wages. A year's wages. Let's just say 50 grand. That's a modest income. <laughs> Some of you are like, I wish I could make 50 grand. Some of you are like, how can you survive off 50 grand a year? I know, let's just call it in the middle. Let's say it's 50 grand. Somewhat modest. Maybe it's 40 grand. That's a lot. Maybe it's minimum wage. Maybe it's like 28 grand. Whatever. It's a year's wages. Listen, is your worship costly? When you come, uh, this is the deal. Like, I, I, I'm not criticizing. You do benefit from worship. You do benefit from those moments. Absolutely. You will carry, oh, go, it was so good. I'm sure when Mary left, she was like, it was so good. I'm so wrecked. I'm sure it was awesome. But it's not for you to experience that. When we come into worship, it's not about me and what I can get out. Just, I love to worship the Lord because I feel so peaceful. No, no, no. I worship the Lord because he is so worthy. Because he is worthy of the most costly thing I have. The king is here. He is here. He's in the room. We're gathering together. I don't care if I look like a fool. I don't care if I look like an idiot. I don't, people, I don't care if people say that 47-year-old man ain't got moves. I don't care about any of it. He's worthy of it. And so I'm just going to give it to him. And it didn't re- so cheap for me to do that. And now, now listen, when we worship, when we worship the Lord, we're not, we're not paying for something in the sense of that I'm trying to gain ground. No, no, no. It's a place of gratitude. It's like years ago. Y'all have heard me share this before. I, went, I was studying at Starbucks like 15 years ago. It's before they were like the big empire that they are now. And I went in and I, and I saw on the board that it said salted caramel, caramel, hot cocoa. I said it right, caramel. Caramel, caramel, whatever, caramel. I say caramel. Salted caramel, hot cocoa. And I'm like, dang, that sounds good. And I looked at the lady because she saw me there every week. And I looked at her and she, I, I read it out loud. Salted caramel, hot cocoa. And I, and I looked at the lady and she's like, I'm like, I'm going to have one of those. I said, oh, that sounds really good. But I was just getting coffee because that's what I do. And she's like, well, I'll get you one. And I was like, okay. So I sat down and I drank it. And before I left, I was there for like three hours studying. And before I left, I said, Leslie Brown needs to have one of those. Remember that? So I went up and I was like, I needed another one of those. 
but it's not for me. It's for my wife. She needs that. You know why I did that? Not because it's on a list somewhere that I have to give her every experience I have. It's because I love this woman right here and I experienced something good and I want her to experience something good. It's costly. It costs me a little bit. More than my coffee. So stupid. Now none of it's any good. All right. Number three is broken. When she breaks this alabaster box or this alabaster jar, it, was, it would never be good for anything else. It might be a relic that would be empty, that would be sitting on a shelf somewhere, and someone look back and go, hey, remember whenever she broke that before the, the feet of Jesus? But it served no purpose except for this offering. Have you been broken? Have you been ruined? David says this, Psalm 51, he said, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. God, you won't despise that kind of offering. Listen, when you come before the Lord, just be broken. Just allow your heart to be spilled wide open and you watch him bring his oil and heal every broken place in your heart. Come on, just expose your brokenness and be wasted. I'm done with doing anything else. He is the central component of my life. Notice I didn't say first, he's central. Everything revolves around him. It's not about a priority list. It's about Jesus being centered. And my life is wasted for that man. Everything that I do is based upon what he says and does. Everything. Sometimes I get a little off and then I have to gravitate back to the middle. But I've been broken. I'm sold out. I'm ruined for his purposes. Are you ruined for his purposes? Number four is poured out. I'm hurrying. Her offering was emptied out. There was nothing left. Y'all have heard me tell this. We, were, we had this youth conference years ago. And I was leading worship one night. Powerful, man. God's moving in the altars. Like we're singing, crying, the whole thing. Prophetic words, but miracles, all this stuff. This is rowdy. And it was before Leslie and I was married. I was single. And I went home. And I was like, eh, I was like, good night. I'm so wasted. I just had Denny's or something. And I was just like, oh, I'm asleep. And I reached over to turn my lamp light off. And when I reached over, the Lord spoke to me and said, what about me? I was like, well, Lord, what about you? I've been leading worship and preaching and laying hands on eating Denny's. I've been doing it all for you. And he's like, I want some of your time. I want a fellowship. You've been working, Martha, Martha. Come over here and be merry for a minute. Pour it out. Just be empty. Listen, when we leave a worship time, there should be a, we should be wore out. Hear me today. We should be rejuvenized in spirit, but wore out physically because we gave so much to the Lord. I'm not, I am not reserving my life for anything else. I'm not holding on to any of Josh Brown. Not holding, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saving any Josh Brown for you. It all belongs to Jesus. And then he will distribute me the way he sees appropriately. He's the one. He's the one. The fifth thing is that it happens, and I'm almost done, is it filled the room with fragrance. It filled the room with fragrance. It says this, that it filled the house. Listen, it didn't just cover Jesus. It filled the house. Get this. Your worship won't just cover Jesus. 
It will fill the house. Let me say this with a grain of salt, lest you think I'm being boastful. Pastor Leslie and I both love to worship Jesus. We cut our teeth with loud floor wedges and blasting hardcore, heavy, screaming worship and going before God for hours. We love to worship Jesus. There's, we just, because we love Jesus. <clears throat> Both of us, very passionate worshipers. And we don't do that for people. We do it because we've, we've sold out. And we've had this, this compliment before. And I don't even want to call it a compliment. And uh, we, were, we, were, I, we were at a church and I was ministering. And some friends of ours were at this church. They weren't the pastors, but they were there. And so we, we went to lunch afterward and had a great time of, of worship. And if I'm being honest, it wasn't like the, the most like quality worship set. But it didn't matter. It wasn't really, it's not about our preference. It's about Jesus. It's just a vehicle to get us there. It's just the Uber, right? And so we're out to lunch after, and then this couple, these, this good friend of ours, they're like, man, worship was so good today. It was so good. They're like all like wrecked. And then my friend, he says, it's because Josh and Leslie were there. And again, I take that very open-handed. I'm not trying to say that as, as a bragging thing. We've had similar compliments happening frequently. Why? Why does that happen? Well, it's not because we have an anointing, it's because we're gifted. It's just because we're pouring it out and the Lord's there and we're just worshiping him. And we've had, we've been told this a number of times. We just worship's just better when y'all are there and we don't even have to be on stage. I mean, we're, we're talking about doing just what you do on Sunday. And they're like, it's just better when you're in the room. Why? Am I saying that to puff me up? No. It's just because your fragrance doesn't just touch him. It fills the room. Come to worship in such a way that it doesn't just, quote unquote, minister to you. That's not the purpose anyway. Do it in such a way that it fills the room. And that's why whenever the, when everybody in the house is engaged and we're worshiping the Lord, when everyone's engaged, that's why it's so powerful because the room's getting full and more full and more full and more full of the fragrance because we're all just pressing in. I long for a church where there's people all over the room Lord, I love you. I don't sing very good, but I've had this breakthrough and I just love you. I long to be in a room where people are just on God. I love you because I just love how good it smells and it might not smell that good to you, but it's not for you anyway. It's for him. I long to have a church where people are filling the room with fragrance, the fragrance of worship and not a spot in the room, the whole room. Your worship can change the room. Well, I wasn't worshiped that good today because you didn't press in. For me, worship's good every Sunday. Some weeks it's better. But every time it's good. You know why it's good? Because Jesus got worshiped. And if nobody else did, I did. And he liked it. And you might not have liked it fine. You don't have to like it. It's not for you. 
Learn, learn to worship Jesus. Learn to get in whatever Uber shows up. I could, I could worship to rap music. And I don't like rap music. I don't. I don't like country music. Sorry. Don't like the Dallas Cowboys. I don't like the music they play at their games. It's a good reason. I don't like hip-hop. Just don't. Give me some metal, I'll go after God. But listen, give me some rap, I'll go after God. I'll worship God to any genre. It's not genre, it's not sound, it's not volume, it's not mood, it's not who's singing. It's him. It's him. It's all just an Uber that I got in to go to him. So this is what happens. I'm closing. It says this in verse 12. The next day. The next day is what we call the triumphal entry of Jesus. And this is where the king comes into town, finally looking like the king. And he's coming into town. And we know what it looks like. People have palm branches and they're laying it down. They're saying, Hosanna, here he's saving us. The king is here. It kind of looks like that triumphant procession that Paul was talking about when a king comes to town and Jesus is showing up and it's not just what it looks like it's not just that Jesus is there and everybody's saying hosanna and singing songs and waving palm branches no no there's an odor in the atmosphere there's something that smells and it smells like what happened the day before it still smells like that real expensive perfume that Mary got before Jesus and said I will waste it all here it is Lord I'll just pour it on you and so Jesus marching through town people are saying what does it look like what does it sound like what does it smell like it smells like Mary's offering and Jesus even made this statement has prepared me for it's prepared me for death. When those men were driving those nails through those feet that had been anointed with oil, they smelt the fragrance of Mary. They smelt that fragrance of worship. Will you stand with me? They smelt the fellowship of the Lord. We just lift your hands. Lord, we love you. I want to give you something right now, God. Come on, can you just give him something? Give him a song. Give him a melody. Give him a word. Some of you need to give him your heart today. You need to give him your life today. You say, you know what, Pastor? I have not given my life to Jesus, but I can see that he is a man that is worthy of it. And today I want to give my life to Jesus. Will you just wave your hand? I want to pray with you today. You say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be my life to be an offering to the Lord. Anyone here? Anyone here? I, I want to pray for you. We will pray for you. You're the one we want, Lord. You're the one that's worthy of our lives. Lord, I'm done holding on. Come on, can this just be a moment of surrender? Lord, I'm done holding on to what I see as valuable for me. I'm giving it to you. I give you hopes. I give you dreams. I give you brokenness. I give you my pain. I give you my poor experiences. Lord, I just lay it all at your feet, Lord. You're the king. You're the king.
just when, when, when Pastor Josh was preaching about how Mary uh, broke the alabaster jar in his feet and then she used her hair to wipe it. And I don't know if you guys have ever been camping or if you've ever done something like that, hair holds on to fragrance for a long time. And yes, the fragrance filled the room, but who smelled the most like Jesus? It was Mary. It was the one who was right there, who was deep in it. And she didn't just smell like him then, she smelled like him the next day. And even after he was dead and buried, where was the smell of Jesus? It was on Mary, she was carrying it around. And I can almost guarantee that she waited for as long as she could to wash that scent out of her hair because she was so desperate to have him close, so desperate for that fragrance to linger. So I just hope that that would be our heart, that we would get so close to Jesus that his fragrance would linger on us long after the encounter, that when we go to work the next day and we show up, that we change the atmosphere as they walk in and people are like, what just happened right now? Because all of a sudden I'm sensing something different. I'm smelling something different. So I want to encourage you guys to let that be, let that be your drive. Let that be your heart, that we don't just come here to worship, but that we come up to fill up with the fragrance of God, that we can take it and, and spill out everywhere we go. Amen. Amen.